Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, There are many, many, many places that you could be, uh, especially on a beautiful day like this. But you're here, and that is not an accident. It is not coincidence. God has you here for a reason. He has us all here for a reason, and we have the, the privilege and the pleasure of gathering together before our great and sovereign Lord to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you have not left us alone. You have not left us ignorant, but you have given us your very word. Father, we pray this morning that you would transform our souls through your word, Father, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to us and make us who you want us to be. Father, I pray for myself that as I preach your word, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase, that you and you alone would be honored and glorified for the good of your people and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this, uh, this passage in, uh, in, in 1 Cor- or First Corinthians, and uh, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians for chapter 13 a little bit, uh, in, uh, in Philippians in chapter 1. And it's one of my, my favorite passages. I, I think they all are. Uh, but um, I, I can't help it. I mean, I, I look at this and I see Paul's prayer for his people. And it's just exciting. It's more exciting than anything else on earth to see the way that God speaks into, into us and the way he calls his prophets like Paul to, to pray for us that that our love would abound more and 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 more. So we, we, we dive in, into this place and, um, and we can't help but be, be excited by it. One of the things that we see before we get into chapter, into chapter 1, verse 9, is, is verse 8. In verse 8, Paul kind of, um, kind of sets it up when he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Actually says, for how I yearn for you all. Now see, in the South, we would just abbreviate that and call it what it ought to be, which is y'all. How I yearn for y'all, which means I want to be with y'all. He's saying, I yearn for you. I passionately, with everything that is in me, I want to be where you are because I love you. And not just with any old love, but with the love of Jesus Christ the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul has a yearning to be with the church at Philippi. I get that. He yearns to be with the church at Philippi in the same way that Jesus Christ yearns to be with you and with me, which is why he gave up his life, that we might have life forever. And yet we we look at a passage like this 
And it leaves us with some questions. How in the world does our love grow more and more and more and more and more and more and more? And what does it mean that, that it, it grows to this place where there's a fruit of righteousness that comes out of it? Well, I'm reminded of, of uh, some of my kids when they were growing up, and I still see this. I have seven kids. You might not have known that. Um, if you hang around me long enough, more than three or four minutes, you're going to learn that I have seven awesome children, four incredible daughters, happy daughters day to them, and three incredible sons. Which means that there's been days when they ate us out of house and home. Five of those kids are out of college, they're on their own, gamefully employed. Yes, that's good news, any day. I remember when my older sons, Nathan and John, Isaac has carried on their tradition. I owe them a dollar for every time I say their name. This young man has carried on the tradition of his big brothers. That is, they, they eat. They eat and eat and eat. There were days when we would go through six gallons of milk a week. Sam's loved us. I remember Nathan, when he was in his teenage years, he would skip the cereal bowls and he would go straight for the mixing bowls. You know what that's like? Breakfast time comes, he skips the cereal bowls, goes to the mixing cabinet and grabs these big silver mixing bowls and he would take a box of cereal and he would dump half of it, half of it, into the mixing bowl. And then he would get, grab a gallon of milk and empty half of the gallon of milk into the mixing bowl. And he wouldn't grab a teaspoon or a tablespoon. He'd grab one of those big mixing spoons and he would dive in to this thing. I'm not kidding, y'all. And, and he would eat it all up, you know, as if there was no tomorrow. And then he would go back for more, you know. And then he gets home for practices in the evening and he has supper. And then long about bedtime, he goes back to the kitchen for another helping. Isaac still does that. Is there no end to this? There's not. They eat and they eat and they eat. My daughter Sarah uh, has to eat a lot too because she's a runner. She, um, she runs distance things. She runs six or 10 miles for fun. Who does that? I remember after she'd, she had had COVID one week and she got over that, thank God. And then a, a few days later, I don't know, three or four days later, maybe at the max, she, she goes out for a run. I'm like, don't you need to rest for a few weeks? Well, I just thought I'd go for a run. How far did you run? Six miles. Who does that? She, she has to eat, though, all the energy stuff so that she can run the distances. You see, what we, what we put in determines what comes out. You know, if we're going to run those races, we have to have the, the nourishment, right? My friends, if we're going to run the race that God has called us to run, then we've got we've to have the nourishment that he calls us to have. And it's not all about knowledge. We love knowledge. I love knowledge. I've got a, I don't know how many degrees, one, two, a couple of degrees. And I could have more, except my wife won't let me. So I, I love knowledge. I, I have a thirst for knowledge. I read for fun. And, um, but, but it's not knowledge that, that fuels us here, not according to what Paul tells us. It's love, an abounding love, more and more and more and more and more and more, with knowledge and depth of insight. But it's love that fuels it all, the more and the more and the more. And that love determines the fruit of our lives. It determines our race that we run. My friends, if we're going to run the race God has called us to run, we have to understand his love for us and the love he calls us to have for him, for each other, and for others. Let's dive in a little deeper. When he says in verse 9 that his, he's praying that our love would abound more and more. Think about that. 
Paul doesn't, he doesn't waste words, does he? So he could have just said, I pray they will love and been done with it. But he says, I pray their love will abound. In other words, that it's just going to get big and bigger and bigger and bigger. When I was a kid, this movie came out on TV, and it was an old black and white movie. I don't know how old it was, but it was called The Blob. Does anybody in here remember The Blob? Yes! There's a few of you like me. You're, anyway, so um, there, you remember The Blob. So The Blob would grow, and it would sneak under doors. It was like... Um, uh, uh, jello or play-doh or something it would sneak under doors and then it would consume something and grow and it sneak under another door and it would grow and fill up rooms and buildings it was the blob so abounding means this love is growing like the blob it's just growing and abounding more and more but he doesn't stop with the abounding does he, he says and more not, not just one more but another more in other words, the way we need to read this, friends, is God is saying here through Paul's prayer that, that our love needs to abound more and 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 more. There's no end to the growth of our love. So those of you that think that you are loving so well, my friends, don't stop there. Let your love abound more and more and even more beyond that. Several years ago, in a discipleship group with a bunch of guys, uh, we, we do prayer at the end of those things, and um, came my time, and, and I said, just pray that I would love uh, my wife well. Just pray that I love my wife well. You know, and he kind of stops, and I remember he had a little wry grin on his face, and, and he said, but, but you do love your wife, don't you? And I said, oh, you know, you know. I love my wife. My wife is my delight. Uh, I, I, I long to see my wife. My heart skips a beat every time she walks into the room 33 years later. I love my bride. And yet I know that as much as I love my bride, I want to love her more. I want to love her better. I love my children so very much, but I want to love them more. I love you, but I want to love you more. I love God, but I want to love him more. So Paul praying that we would, we would have a love that would abound isn't saying that we don't already love. It's saying that we need to love more and more and better and better and better. That our love needs to abound more and more and more and more. You know, in the ESV version of the Bible, we, we see love mentioned about 700 times. The King James is somewhat less because uh, there's sometimes when King James will use words like charity because it sounds better in the old Shakespearean English than love, charity. So they use the word charity and things like that instead of love. But in, in, in a better translation like the NIV or the ESV, you see it about 700 times. We're not going to look at all 700 of those. Be glad. But what we are going to do is look, look at a few of those to get a picture of what God means when he says that our love needs to abound more and more and more because something has to shape how we think of that love. For example, where does that love come from? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because Christ first loved us. We, we can't love unless Christ first loves us, right? Cannot happen. Cannot happen. So someone that's not a believer, can they love with that same kind of love that comes from Christ? Well, no. 
because the love of Christ is not in them. But, but if you're a believer, then you, you are to have that same kind of love that is yours through, through Christ Jesus. We love because Christ first loved us. And that's also then our standard for how we measure love. If you, if you measure the love that you have by your neighbor and say, well, I love better than he does, so I'm doing good. My friends, that's not our standard. Our standard is Christ. And when Christ loves, he loves sacrificially, right? In Romans, in chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Here's God defining his love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. We see that love is sacrificial. We see love is so generous. We see, we see that love is not dependent on what you get back. So, so God didn't love because these, these people, us, them, were, were perfect. No, God loved them even while they were still sinners. So love is not transactional in nature. That is, I love and you're going to love me back. Well, that's not love. Jesus didn't love so that we would love him back. He loved because, because that's his nature to love. Because God is love. 1 John 4, 9. Love is sacrificial. Love is generous. 2 Corinthians 5, 521. Uh, again, from, from Paul. For our sake he made him to be no sin. Or he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you say, well, where's, where's love in that? And I look at that and I think, where's love not in that? For God to make his, his only begotten son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that you and I, who were sinners, might become the righteousness of God? That's love. That's an unconditional, non-transactional, sacrificial, and incredibly generous love that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Or in John 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave gave, freely gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that the world would condemn or, or to, to condemn the world but so that the world would be saved through him. Love, love from God for us is not because we've earned it or because we deserve it, but because it's the very nature of God to love us. And here's the thing, he calls us to have that same kind of love for him and for others. If we think that, if we think we're not, not in need of that kind of love because our sin is really, really small, it doesn't impact anybody, at least not in our own minds. We never sin in a vacuum, never. All of our sin impacts somebody, maybe a lot of somebody's. But if we think we have the small sin, my friends, then our view of God will also be small. And if our view of God is small, then, then our, our, our view of our need for mercy is small. Our, our view of, uh, of our need for sacrifice, our view of his love is really small. And we will be unable to love others when we see that our sin really has separated us from God, then we see that we have to have a great mercy from a great God who has a great love. And then we're able to love others in return. 
Love is mentioned over and over and over in Scripture because it is love that defines the, the most basic nature characteristic of God. In this passage, Paul doesn't define love because love is, is, so, is so very um, part and parcel of all that Paul has already preached to the Philippian church when he was there, a part of his ministry and a part of all of Scripture. You take it all the way back to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We see the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We see that we're to love that God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Later, we see the Ten Commandments in Exodus and again in Deuteronomy. You say, well, where do you see love in the Ten Commandments? Well, the first four are about our love for God, and then five through ten are about our love for each other and others. And we see in, um, in, in the New Testament when Jesus is asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? And he, he goes back to those ten. He goes back to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and back to the Ten Commandments. He goes back there and he says, well, the first is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is, with everything in you, everything you are, everything you desire, everything that is you, love the Lord your God with everything, with your very last drop of your blood, your very last breath, your very last thought, love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the first four commandments and, and then commandments five through 10 after that. To so love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The love is, is, is what it uh, encompasses the, the Ten Commandments and the greatest commandments. You say, well, what if someone's not lovable? Can't I just love the people that I really like? Well, Jesus doesn't give us that, does he? We go to Luke chapter 10 and we see the parable of the, great, or the Good Samaritan. You know, and, and who are we going to love? Who's my neighbor? Well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is that Samaritan, that person that doesn't like you and that you don't like. Or in Matthew, in chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't just love the ones that you like. Love your enemies. And only, don't just love them with, with a thought or something in your heart. Pray for them. Take action and pray for those that persecute you. So love, love always acts. What about other scriptures that we see on love? Well, you can go to Romans 12. We see that love is to be without dissimulation, that we are to abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. So love, uh, love abhors that which is evil. Love doesn't make excuse for sin. We often make excuse for sin, and we say, well, grace would make excuse for sin. No, it wouldn't. If we could make excuses for sin, we wouldn't need grace. If we could make excuses for sin, friends, Jesus died for nothing. What a big farce that was if there was excuse for sin. Love abhors what is evil. Love clings to what is good. Love abhors evil but clings what is good? Love doesn't make excuse for sin. No, love sacrifices the life of his son, Jesus Christ. That's not making an excuse for it. At the same time, we, 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 we can't go to the, the other extreme from Ephesians 3 and say, well, we're going we're to attack all sin. We're going to speak the truth in love. You know, that, 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 I think that 
that phrase might have been taken out of context almost as much as another one we'll see in, in Philippians. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can score touchdowns. I can make millions of dollars. I can have a 19-foot pole ball jump today. No, you can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We'll get to that one later on. Hang on to that. But what does it mean to speak the truth in love? It doesn't give you freedom to beat somebody up. I claim I'm speaking the truth in love. No, you're not. Sometimes the only thing you love is your own self-righteousness, and you don't want to get kudos for, for your rightness. And so you spiritually abuse somebody else, and you use God as an excuse to do that. that that's not love. It's not speaking the truth in love. Our love has to take, take shape from all of Scripture. In Re- Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Jesus tells the church at Ephesus to remember their first love. You and I forget our first loves. We all do it. All of us. None are exempt from that. We forget our first loves because we get so busy with life, uh, because we get so busy and so enamored of our own idols, of the things that we love more than we love Jesus Christ. And we, we forget our love for Christ, he tells us there to remember our first love and repent. In John chapter 21, Jesus doesn't ask Peter. He's having this conversation re- reinstating Peter, Peter um, after Peter's denied him. He doesn't look at Peter and say, hey, Peter, who do you think I am? He's, he's been there, done that, okay? He doesn't say, who do people say I am? He he's not, that's not what he does. When he's reinstating Peter, 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 We're going to change Peeper's name from here on out. Um, When he's reinstating Peter, he doesn't say, what do you think? He doesn't say, will you follow me? He says, Peter, do you love me? He doesn't say, we have the courage to follow me. He says, Peter, will you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Because he knows that if Peter loves him, Peter will follow him. If Peter loves Jesus, then he will follow him, even to the point of death. It is love that determines the fruit of our life. So Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The most powerful force in the universe is not what we think, as powerful as that is, and we'll get to that in a moment. It's what do we love. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. In 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 18, we see that perfect love casts out fear. So fear is mentioned over 300-something times. I think it's 365 times is what I was told once. I don't know if it's true or not. You can go count it yourself. Um, Mark Rick quotes it in a movie, though, so maybe it's true. 365 times fear is mentioned in Scripture, okay? Do not fear. Do not be anxious. It's perfect love that casts out fear. Not perfect thinking, not perfect courage, but perfect love. The love of Jesus Christ that takes care of that. Romans in chapter 8, in verse 35, you find these words from the Apostle Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing because of Christ's love for us. It is love that holds us close and will not let us go. What gets in the way of that kind of love? Well, I think what gets in the way of that kind of love is the same thing that got in the way of, of the first love from Revelation 2. It's our own idolatries, our own self-righteousness, and our own arrogance. We feel like we don't need that kind of love. We feel like we're better off on our own. So we attack and attach to things that, that will fill us up with, uh, with, inst- with instant gratification. that will feed our self-righteousness today instead of hanging on to that which we, we cannot see. Paul Tripp says that we tend to believe that's, that the sin that surrounds is more dangerous than the sin that resides in us. We tend to believe that the sin that surrounds us, the sin of others, is more dangerous than the sin that resides in us. You ever, you ever like that? I am. We can become so judgmental and so fixed on the sins of others that we ignore the sin of ourselves, our own sin. And when we do that, then we're forgetting the love of God and we're unable to love others. One of the greatest chapters on, on love takes us to this place and really destroys such thinking. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a love chapter, right? Did you know that this love chapter is actually a chapter of rebuke? How many people want that in their wedding? Well, some of you had it in your wedding. I'm doing a wedding soon, and, and, and the bride really wants 1 Corinthians 13 in the wedding. So we had a discussion. You've got chapter 12, you've got chapter 14, and then right there in 13, as Paul saying to this church, look, you've you got all these gifts, you've got all this knowledge, you're really great in all these areas, but you don't love worth anything. You're horrible at it. Let me tell you what you really need. You really need love. So yeah, it's, it's, it's cute for a, for, a, for a wedding. But it's, listen, it's a rebuke. And it's a rebuke that's, that's helpful for us even at this place. Because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of who God is and who he's called us to be, how he's called us to live. 1 Corinthians 13, let me read a bit of it to you. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, woo, and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, yes. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing, nothing, nothing without love. You can have all those gifts, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. He goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, if I give away all that I have, I'm super generous. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And he gets positive here for just a moment. He says, love is patient and kind. And he goes back negative. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love 
never ends. And then he goes on and he speaks to having grown up as a child. He said, when I was a child, I, I thought like a child. When I became a man, I gave up these childish ways and I began to understand more thoroughly. What Paul is saying here is that I, as I grew in Christ, I began to understand that it's not this, this knowledge up here. It's not all these spiritual gifts. It's not my powers or persuasion or my elegant speech that makes me something. It's the love of Jesus Christ. And without that love, I am nothing. He goes to the end of it in verse 13. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? It's love. Love trumps all of it. The love of Jesus Christ for us and the love of Jesus Christ working through us is better by far than everything else. How do you love? That's where Christ takes us in this place. Sometimes it seems that in Christianity in America, we have, we've just forgotten that. We, we become believers maybe, and we, we hop on the, the love bus. You know, we're going down the street called love, but then we get to the intersection of arrogance and pride, and we jump off of it. We get to another street called self-righteousness, and we, we jump off of, of that. And, and we... We lose the language of love and the kindness and gentleness that comes from Christ. And we take up the stuff of, of earth. And God says to us, repent, remember, and get back on the bus. That's, that's my bus, the bus of love. First Peter 4 says, above all else, keep on loving one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Not our debate, not our, not our apologetics, not our thinking. That's not what covers a multitude of sins. It's love that covers all of that. How do you love? How do you love God? How do you love each other? How do you love the world that will not love you back? How do you love uh, you know, faith, hope, love, abide, remain, but the greatest of these is love. Our love has to be shaped. Rene uh, Descartes, the French philosopher, uh, taught us several things. He, he taught us that, he said, I think, therefore I am. He taught us um, that we are what we think, right? Um, but it's not true. We are what we love. We are who we love. It is love that determines the fruit of our righteousness, not, not what we think. 1 John 4, 8 reminds us again that God is Love. We, this love has to be shaped. It has to be shaped. Or it will take on the shape of Descartes. That I think, therefore I am. Our love has to be shaped by something greater than the world and greater than our own thinking and our own reasoning. It has to be shaped by God through his word. So he, we come to this, this part in this, this passage. And he says, so that you may approve. Or no, so that uh, with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's got to be knowledge and, and discernment for us to understand this. Where does the knowledge and discernment come from? Well, it comes from Scripture. I, I love uh, another translation. Instead of discernment, it says with depth of insight. See, there, there's, discernment is, is wisdom. It's depth of insight. You, you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is knowing that, that a tomato is not a vegetable but a fruit. But no, that's knowledge, is it? Knowledge is knowing that 
that a tomato is not a vegetable but a fruit, but wisdom is knowing you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. So sometimes scripture speaks exactly to what we're going through in life, like, um, like with human sexuality. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Uh, sex is to be between one man and one woman that are married to each other. So scripture speaks very clearly to that. A lot of things scripture does not speak to so clearly, like should you buy this house or this house? The banker says you can buy this house. Well, wisdom might say, nah, settle for this house. You know, so w- wisdom, wisdom helps us discern those things that are, that are from God but are not explicitly laid out in Scripture. So when we're looking at how to, what, what the shape of love is, we have to go to Scripture, and it reveals to us who God is, and God is love. When we look at His character, and sometimes what we call love here on earth, even amongst Christians, does not line up with who Christ is. So we want to know the shape of love. We go back to Christ again and again and again and again. James K. Smith said this. He said, Paul prays that their love might abound more and more because in some sense love is the condition for knowledge. Love is the condition for knowledge. Now, I did not get that backwards. It's not that we know in order to love, but rather I love in order to know. And if we're going to discern what is best, what is excellent, what really matters, what is of ultimate importance, Paul tells us here that the place to start is by attending to our loves. So much else in your world wants to shape your love. Plato said, if you give me control of the world's music, I will control the world. Listen to music, whether it's Christian music or or pop, or oldies, but goodies, or, or whatever it is, or country western. It's all about love, right? The, the, things, we, the things we do for love. Uh, when love takes you in, all we need is, is love. Uh, will you love me for who I really am? Jesus loves me, this I know. You can't, you can't hurry love, burning love. Love was made for you and me, the things we, we do for love. And country music's all about pickup trucks, and mamas, and, and trains, and prison, and and, and love and, and dogs and all the good stuff, right? But it's all about love. And if we settle for those mediums defining and shaping what we think about love and how we love, we will come up way short. So we need knowledge and discernment from Scripture to help, help shape that love. So discipleship, the way, the way we think, the way we train up our hearts and minds is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and belonging. Smith takes us there again. He said, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, where we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything revolves around God so that we may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. To be pure and blameless, my friends, just real quickly means to be morally transparent. Not stumbling, not hiding, no facades. We're good at building up facades, aren't we? I am, and, and so are you. We're good at it. We're good at hiding. It begins with Adam and Eve, and they're hiding behind a bush. Silly people. God made the bush. God can burn up bushes. Little did they know. You can't hide from God, and yet we try to hide from God, and we try to hide from each other. 
To be, to be pure and blameless is to be morally transparent. That is that we have nothing to hide. And when we do have something to hide, we don't hide it. We take it to Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness because of who we love and who loves us. Let me, let me wrap it up with just four things. Who, do we, who are we going to love? How do you love, Christian? So we, we lead with love in our, all, of, all of our relationships. With your spouse, you lead with love. With your children, you lead with love. I don't know about you, but um, when, when my kids were little, when my older kids were little, um, I was really good at intimidating them to my shame. And a, a lot of repentance had to take place. But, you know, when, when you're 5'10", and you've got big old bushy eyebrows, and you've got a deep voice, and you've got a, a four-year-old in front of you, you can't intimidate them to the core. And you can manipulate with eyebrows and a deep voice and get what you want, and you can get some sort of obedience. But you're not helping them love Jesus. My friends, lead with love. And all of your parenting, lead with love. And your relationships with each other in the church, you lead with love. Don't feel like you've got to be always correcting and training somebody up. Relax. Let the Holy Spirit do his job and love. And your relationships with your neighbors, lead with love. Lead with love in all of your relationships. In our shepherding, one of the things we've really tried to emphasize a lot this year is we want to shepherd the congregation of EP well. And in that, we lead with love. We don't lead with correction. We want to lead with love because we love you. When it comes to discipleship, it's the same way. Discipleship of every sort, whether it's a worship service or renew, uh, whether it's Bible studies or equip groups, we want to lead those with love because all we give you is an information dump and just dump knowledge on you, uh, whether it's whatever kind of knowledge, but we don't love you to Jesus Christ, then we have failed God and you. So we lead with love in all of that. Lead with love in our vocations. Whether your vocation is education, uh, business, uh, military, government, ministry, lead with love. You say, well, Harrison, you're, you're not a businessman. You don't know what it's like. I've, I've been in ministry full-time for 25 years. I had 13 years in business before that. I learned early on that you really can lead with love even in business. If you're in a million-dollar negotiation with a client, you can still lead with love. You can. You can. Give it a shot. Lead with love even there. Love in the beginning, love in the middle, love in the end, and everything that you do love because the love of God working in you and through you is what develops the fruit of righteousness in your life. How do you love? What you give your heart to determines the fruit of your life. So the single greatest character quality or thing that we can be known for, church, is a genuine love for God and love for all those created in his image. How will we love?
Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Even when we are unlovable, you still love us. Oh, Lord, we are not worthy. Thank you for your sacrificial, generous, joy-filled love. Lord, thank you. Father, I pray that you would so work in us so that we love you well. And we love each other well. And we love others well. That the fruit of righteousness might be borne out in our lives for your glory and for our good and for the growth of the kingdom of God. In whose name we pray. Amen.